This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is value. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Thank you for listening to Embrace the Truth, the teaching and apologetics ministry of Abdu Murray. Abdu spent most of his life as a serious Muslim, but after examining the evidence for the gospel and struggling with the emotional price that would come with changing his entire worldview, Abdu committed his life to Jesus Christ. Since coming to the Christian faith, he's become an international apologist, author, and professor. He is dedicated to engaging non-Christians with the credibility of the gospel in ways that touch the heart and the mind as well as equipping Christians to do the same. Support for this ministry comes from our listeners' generous gifts and donations. For this podcast and other information about Embrace the Truth, please visit our website at www.embracethetruth.org or call us at 888-84-TRUTH. Today, Abdu continues his teaching on the importance of being in the world. The unity, knowledge, and perseverance of God provide incredible joy and peace in our lives, beyond anything we can find outside of the cross. How we pour these gifts out into other people can change the world around us. I want you to hear something that Richard Dawkins actually said. Here's what he said. So when I meet somebody who claims to be religious, my first impulse is, I don't believe you. I don't believe you until you tell me, do you really believe, for example, if they say they're Catholic, he says, do you really believe that when a priest blesses a wafer, it turns into the body of Christ? Are you seriously telling me you believe that? Are you seriously saying that wine turns into blood? Mock them. Ridicule them. In public. Don't fall for the convention that we're all too polite to talk about religion. Religion is not off the table. Religion is not off limits. Religion makes specific claims, he goes on to say, about the universe, which need to be substantiated and need to be challenged, and, if necessary, need to be ridiculed with contempt. That's stridency. That's not the atheism of your grandfather, day. Back in the day when sort of was polite to disagree with somebody and you didn't sort of make fun of them for it. It's over now. The gauntlet's been thrown down. It's a purposeful Atheism, it's a purposeful secularization that's going on in our world. That's happening all around us. If you don't think it's happening, just walk into the nearest public school and sit around for a couple hours. And they're not alone in this, by the way. It's not just the secularizers who are doing this, who are challenging the Christian worldview. Other worldviews and people are starting to challenge it with a certain stridency. They have their own agendas, and they're not being bashful about it. They're trying to silence Christians as being intolerant and their worldview as being enlightened. Christians are bigoted, but they're inclusive. You see this all over the world. This is happening, especially here in the West. They're even saying that Christians are breathing out by simply preaching the Bible, by the way. Simply literally quoting the Bible. You're uttering illegal hate speech. And all you're doing is reading the holy book you've grown up with. Something similar was happening in Jesus' day. It was a clash of worldviews. Think about this. What was happening in his day? He had a Roman rule a 
polytheistic pagan rule that's happening in this Judean province where they were monotheists, and the fledgling Christian religion was, was born there. What did Jesus do? Did he gather a rally together and start speaking and preaching against the establishment or getting angry about things and saying we have to mock and ridicule those who oppose us? Did he do that? He did form a rally, actually. He gathered some disciples. And in John chapter 17, he prayed with them and for them. And not just for them, but for others around them. He didn't say mock them. He didn't say ridicule them. He didn't say do it with contempt. Here's what he said. You'll indulge me. Let me read it at length for you. Jesus' prayer. I have manifested your name, O Lord, to the people. He's talking to the Father, of course. Whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Unity in the body, ladies and gentlemen. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may be joy-filled. They, they, sorry, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world, the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, since I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You see what's happening so far in his prayer? He's saying the world will hate them. Richard Dawkins certainly doesn't like them very much, but keep them in the world, Lord. Don't take them away from the hatred. They will be hated, but don't take them away from it, because the world that hates them needs them. He goes on, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world now, this is the important part, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Indulge me for just a moment longer, because he's sending them into the world now, the world that hates them. He says, I do not ask for these only. You see what he's done? He's not just said, my followers, my flock, those who like me, I'm not just asking you to, to bless them. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word those who are not yet believers, those who are at enmity with God. I'm praying for those who will believe because of these men that you've given me, that they also may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He goes on in verse 23. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. I want to take some time to take us through three important aspects of what Jesus is saying here that emerge from these passages during this time of this worldview collision. Because it's happening in our day, and if you're not ready for it, you're going to be a casualty of it. The first one is this, the unity he's preaching. In John 17, verse 11, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. You know what he's speaking of, of course? He's speaking of unity in message, in voice. He's saying, keep them in me and in you, and, and keep them in your name as you and I are one. 
Jesus spoke the Father's message. He did what the Father asked him. He's saying, Lord, keep them in that way so that they can be your voice as well. In that verse, Jesus is praying specifically for his disciples, those who were with him in those years. But in verses 20 and 21, he expands the prayer. He goes beyond just those who are with him to cover us, believers, centuries later. He had you in mind 20 centuries ago. 20 centuries ago. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through your word, for they will all, so that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, they also may be in us. See, the horizontal unity that we can enjoy as a body of believers or as new people who come into the fold of those who follow Christ now, as he's saying, we have this vertical, this horizontal community. That only results from one thing. The horizontal unity among us results from the vertical unity we have with God the Father. You can't have horizontal unity unless you have vertical unity. It won't happen. The horizontal unity results from the vertical. Unity in the essentials, however. We have to have unity in our essentials. It was Augustine, the church father, who said this, in non-essentials, liberty. In essentials, unity. And in all things, charity or love. In all things, even for those who disagree with us. We're supposed to have that. But what is the unity we're called to? It is the unity of the essentials of the gospel. It's the life of Jesus as the incarnate word made flesh of God. Him coming and living a perfect life and paying a price that you and I can never afford to pay. We deserve to pay it, but we can't afford to pay it. Reconciling the world to God, and we know he's right because he rose from the dead. So we have unity, but then we have knowledge. Jesus speaks specifically in this passage about knowledge, of something specific, something important. Is the important aspect of unity is not just relationships. It's not getting, getting together on Sundays, going to afterglows or whatever, and talking about various things you have common interests in. They do that at the Sunday assemblies. The atheists do that. You get together on the knowledge of something very important, that you are the handiwork of God, that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, paid the price for you, that you deserved death, but you were saved from it. And the person you're talking to, if they believe in Christ, they're saved from it as well. You know what kind of unity is born out of that knowledge? It's an incredible thing. John chapter 17, verses 7 to 8. Now they know, Jesus says, that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. There's a knowledge there about something important. Not just Jesus is a powerful teacher, Jesus is anti-Roman, or Jesus is whatever he might be. They know that he had come from God. They know because of what he's done and what he's said and what he's going to do, that he has come from God. See, these things together, unity and knowledge, they produce in us those who cling to the Christian worldview. The third thing that Jesus mentioned in this passage, and that's perseverance. In John chapter 17, verses 13 to 14, these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. This is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And it's encouraging because of the context. See, Jesus is saying this probably in their presence, probably in the presence of the disciples. And he's saying, I'm saying these things so that they may, may have my joy fulfilled in them. When is he saying this? On the very night before his crucifixion. Before he was tied to a post 
and flagellated with a Roman flagellum. You know what those are like? If you've seen The Passion of the Christ, you've seen an accurate description of what a Roman flagellum looks like. It's a, it's a handle with leather strips coming out of it that sometimes have bone or metal hooks on the end, and they whip you with it. Oftentimes, people would lose all kinds of blood and flesh and these kind of things, and I won't go into the gross details about the whole thing, but it's horrible. Jesus knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. He predicted it numerous times. He knew it was happening. If anybody in that crowd of him and his disciples should have not had joy, it should have been him. But he says, I say this so that my joy may be fulfilled in them. His joy is not about happiness. His joy is not about being free from violence or stress or having a relaxing life. His joy is from perseverance. He has persevered to the end, and his disciples will as well. He calls it my joy. Not just joy, but a special kind of joy. Because of his unity of purpose with the, with the Father who had sent him. And he was joyous because these men, who he knows would be scattered, he knows they'll be scattered, but will come together again and be unified and change the world. He has this joy, this joy despite the dread he would later sweat blood over in the Garden of Gethsemane. In John chapter 14, verses 20, verse 27, on that same night, it's interesting what Jesus says. He tells his disciples that he is giving them his peace. He says, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. I give you my peace. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, not as the world gives to you, because what do you think of as peace? What do you think of as peace? Absence of conflict, right? That's not what you think of? I mean, peace is this cliche term now. It's so cliche. World peace, this is a cliche term. It's so cliche because it's a lofty idea we can never achieve. We want peace in our day. Well, what does that mean? It means no conflict. Okay, sure. I think of this, um, this movie. You've, maybe you've seen it. Miss Congeniality. You've seen this movie? Sandra Bullock plays this uh, FBI agent. She's very sort of masculine, and she's not very feminine at all. And there's some kind of like terrorist plot involving the Miss America pageant, which I think is hysterical. But anyway, um, there's this terrorist plot happening with Miss America pageant, and she's got to infiltrate it because as an undercover agent, she's the only female FBI agent who can possibly pass as a pageant contestant. And after some of the foibles of her trying to become feminine, even though she's really not, there's, this, there's a scene. And the scene is these women, these contestants, all saying the, um, the, world, the words, world peace. And then the crowd would erupt in applause. Yay! And then the next one would say, world peace. And the crowd would applause. Yay! Next one, world peace. And yay! You don't know what they're responding to until you come to Sandra Bullock's turn. And then William Shatner, of all people, is, has the microphone and says to the contestant, What's the one thing our society needs? And hands it to Sandra Bullock. And she says, tougher sentencing for parole violators. <laughs> and it's crickets. No, one's, no one cheers. She gave a substantive answer, an actual opinion that meant something, and no one cheered. Do you know why? Because they were looking for the cliché. Looking for world peace. The cliché. Jesus doesn't tell you peace is a cliché. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, not the cliché. Again, Jesus was going to undergo unspeakable violence that next morning. Why should he have peace? 
And by the way, who's he talking to? He's talking to disciples he knows will be brutalized for their faith. Yet he's giving them peace. He shouldn't have peace, but he's got so much peace, he's got some despair. He gives it to his disciples. Astonishing. Astonishing words. It was the Apostle Paul, who was once an enemy of Christianity, who became its biggest champion after he saw the risen Lord, who says in Ephesians 2.14 that peace is not a process, it's not even a state of mind. Peace is a person. For he says, for he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace. You won't have it unless you have him. He imparts peace and joy. Let me close by pulling all this together. Unity, knowledge, and perseverance that we get. Because this is the purpose of all this, the purpose of the unity, and the purpose of the knowledge, and the perseverance is not for you. The peace and the joy, you can have that. That's all good. If you're a Christian, great. Enjoy that. You should. But the reason you have these things is not for you alone. You are to be Christ's voice. What does he say? What does Jesus specifically say? There's a purpose to all this. In verses 21, sorry, 20 to 21, in verse 23, John chapter 17. He asks not just for his disciples, but for the church that will be birthed through him, those who will believe through me, believe in me through their word, and that we as a body of believers may speak in a voice and be one so that the world may believe and know that Jesus was sent by the Father. This is not for you to keep to yourself. This is for you to spread. There was to be a clash of worldviews there, you understand? The Jewish authorities didn't want him anymore preaching these things. The Romans, whatever the Jews want, that's fine. And later they persecute the Christians. Yet all the disciples and later the Apostle Paul persevered through seeming unbearable hardships because of their unity in the knowledge of the perseverance of their Lord Jesus Christ so they could have unity in the knowledge that they will be persevering to the end and have salvation. And they want that for the rest of the world. For the rest of the world, it's there. Ladies and gentlemen, let me give you two illustrations and then I'll stop. When the body of Christ is the voice through which Christ speaks, things change. There's a story of an aesthetic monk named Telemachus. Maybe you've heard the story. If you haven't, I urge you to look it up. Telemachus was an aesthetic monk living in the ancient Roman Empire. And he had heard that the gladiatorial games were reinstated by the emperor. And he was aghast by this because they had been disbanded. They had been stopped. And he couldn't believe what he was hearing. The gladiatorial games are back. The blood baths that occur in the Roman arena are happening again. So he goes to Rome to investigate this, utterly shaken up by it. And he walks into the Colosseum, and sure enough, there it is. The Roman games are happening. Two men are in the arena killing each other. Appalled by this, Telemachus, this ascetic monk, runs into the arena, puts his hands between the two combatants and says, in the name of Christ, stop this. And they throw a spear right through his body. As he begins to die, he continues to say, in the name of Christ, stop this. In the name of Christ, stop this. The audience turned their back on the gladiators. The emperor turned his back and walked out. And there was never another gladiatorial game in the Colosseum ever. Telemachus knew what Jim Elliot knew, the famed missionary. He knew this. He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep 
to gain what he cannot lose. If you are the voice of Christ, you can do that. I'm not saying you have to die for it. I'm just saying that you can be the voice of Christ and make a world-changing statement. Atheists are doing it. They're putting these billboards up on these buses in, in England that says there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. I often wonder if they'd be willing to tell that to someone who lost their, their, their teen son to a suicide. Stop worrying and enjoy your life. How glib. How superficial. Jesus doesn't say you can just dismiss these things. He treats them as real. Or when Deepak Chopra or Oprah Winfrey or Marianne Williamson or Eckhart Tolle tell you that you can enlighten yourself out of your own pain, Jesus says, I deal with pain on the cross. How will we respond? How will we respond? You can do it. The power is in you. Your voice is powerful because if you speak a voice to which Christ speaks, you can change the world. Mao Zedong said that Christianity was dead in China. It was dead and buried. Mao is dead and buried. And there are 100 million Chinese Christians in this country. We do not see men like Mao as opponents. Voltaire was not our opponent. Richard Dawkins is not our opponent. He is the sinner for whom Christ died. Be a voice. Tell those around you. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's for them. Have unity, ladies and gentlemen, in your community so that you can have a unified knowledge so that you can persevere to tell those near and far, those you love and those who are strangers, that Christ died for them and can change their life as he's changed yours. And if you're, if you're not a believer in Christ, I would urge you, carefully consider what he has to offer you. There's nothing better than what Jesus has to offer you. Ladies and gentlemen, I've looked. I've looked everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere you've looked, I've looked. And I've never found it anywhere else. The disciples were once asked by Jesus, are you going to leave me too? Because others were leaving. You know what Peter said? Where are we going to go? What's better than what you've got? You have the words of life. Ladies and gentlemen, he rose from the dead to show that you can believe him. You can believe him. If you don't yet trust him, I would ask you to consider it. Consider it. Talk with someone. I'm willing to talk. Anybody here who's a follower of Christ, I think would love to talk with you about these issues. Let's pray with you. Father, it's with just a joyous heart that I stand at this pulpit, Lord, before these people who invited me so warmly into their, into their midst, Lord, who have welcomed us, who have shown us that unity in the body, Lord, who have showed us that looking like Christ is to look like we're one. Even though we're diverse within ourselves, there's a diversity, but there's a unity as well. And that we speak one voice, and that one voice is the life, death, burial, resurrection, and return of your Son. We love your Son. We ask you to... Give us a unified voice so that we can tell others about why we love your son and why he's worth loving. Above all other ologies and theologies and ideologies and whatever it might be, Lord, it's not about religious views. It's not about doctrines and all these things. These are all great, but we don't serve those things. We serve your son. Those doctrines point us to him, but he is the one we embrace because he embraced us first. 
May we go out and be a voice to the rest of the world. For your son's sake, amen. This message serves as a reminder that we are to be the voice through which Christ speaks. Jesus prayed for those who would believe as a result of our fulfillment of the Great Commission to bring the message of Christ to our world. Friends, this is Abdu Murray, and I'm excited to tell you about my brand new book from InterVarsity Press, Grand Central Question, Answering the Critical Concerns of the Major Worldviews. I'm equally excited to tell you that along with that book, we're offering some great free bonus materials for those who buy the book. Now, no matter where you got Grand Central Question from, whether it's from our website, Amazon.com, a bookstore, or even if you got it as a gift, just go to grandcentralquestion.com, that's grandcentralquestion.com, and click on the free bonus content tab in the middle of the page. You'll be asked to provide your name, email address, and the date and place where you purchased the book. You don't need a receipt, and you don't need to provide us with any additional information. We'll send you an email with a link to access four free videos to go along with each section of the book, in which I give you additional concise evidence for the credibility of the gospel and those videos track the four sections of the book and you'll get a link to a free downloadable study guide as well that study guide is tailored for both individual and group studies and there's a section for a single session study or a multiple session study that you can do over a course of weeks these videos and resources are meant to help you absorb and later use the material in grand central question and i pray that they'll be a blessing to you Thank you for tuning in to Embrace the Truth. We hope that this message has engaged your heart and mind. For this podcast and other information about Embrace the Truth, please visit our website at www.embracethetruth.org or call us at 888-84-TRUTH. Sponsored by Embrace the Truth International.